Welcome back, everyone, for episode 27 of the Zero Analytics Podcast. Columbia, Missouri is where we find today's guest. His name actually came up during Wesley LeBlanc's episode about a year ago in reference of chassis dynamics and balance. Like many of the past guests, I started following his journey on social media. In the past, I've touched on fitness in the sport of karting and think at any level it's another piece of the puzzle. Endurance, fitness, and focus are increasingly becoming the difference between the average day at the track and a day to remember. Thankfully, today's guest is a high-level performer in the sport of karting and fitness. He shares some great advice on simple bodyweight exercises for any driver or person, for that matter, who wants to be better. Along the way in his karting journey, he's performed at a high level, winning big races in the Midwest for many years now, and finds himself in a position as a driver, crew chief, coach, and mentor. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my friend, Mr. Mike Halliburton. Hey, before we get started, everyone, I just want to apologize. There's a, a point, uh, maybe it's even like two different points in the podcast where we lost touch a little bit um, over our conversation over the internet. It's been happening a little bit more, it seems like, the connections with everyone at home and stuff. But I I mentioned on there that I was going to go ahead and cut it out. I tried to get on there, and uh, for some reason, I just couldn't get the app to work to edit it. So there is a little point where we might be saying, hello, are you there? Hey, hello. So just disregard that. And uh, again, man, I don't do this for a living. So hopefully you can find in your hearts to uh, forgive some little uh, malfunctions on the uh, electronic board. So anyway, I appreciate it, and I hope you guys are all healthy and uh, getting back to racing soon. See you guys later. So today on the podcast, on it'll actually be episode 27. I don't have 26 out yet, but we have from Columbia, Missouri, Mike Halliburton, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, no problem. Um, appreciate you making time. I'm assuming that must, you know, much like us in Delaware, we're kind of on a lockdown now. How is, um, how is your daily activities going as far as uh, is anything affected by the coronavirus outbreak or anything like that right now? Or are you pretty much normal? How's things going out there in the Midwest? So in the Midwest, we're a lot like every other region in the country right now. Everybody's mostly in a stay-at-home order. Um, for me, I'm really blessed. I still get to go to the office every day. I'm a, a loan officer by trade, so uh, we're an essential business. Um, I go to the office every day. And my day is pretty normal. Um, it, it's affected everybody in the standpoint that there's a lot less to do. So it's been a, a drastic slowdown. Obviously, none of us can race right now. So, uh, you know, if that's uh, your hobby, your passion, what you love to do, or even a livelihood for some, uh, things have, have definitely changed quite a bit. Uh, and so, I mean, it's, it's as normal as it can be, which is nice. I know that a lot of other people aren't in that situation. So, um, you know, uh, just trying to make the best of it, I guess. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's been pretty, pretty much normal for me though. That's good. I know that, um, kind of the same way with me. I do environmental inspections on, uh, on the um, department of transportation around here. And, um, so I'm pretty normal. My wife's a teacher. So between her and my two kids at home, it's, um, her trying to teach and kind of be a daycare at the same time for part of the day is a little hectic. So, um, but, um, I guess just out of curiosity, what are some of the things that you're doing? I'm assuming you're still kind of messing with your race program and probably maybe touching up or doing some things that you normally wouldn't have time to maybe touch on detail. Uh, what are some of the things 
things that you are doing pertaining to racing right now why you can't actually race? So for us, it's just getting organized for the race season. Uh, being that we're in the Midwest, we race a lot more in the winter than most regions of the country do. A lot of indoor racing. And uh, mm-hmm. being also that it's, it's cold here during the wintertime, it, it limits what you want to do. Uh, it's, it's not near as motivating to get out into the race shop when it's, you know, 20, 30 degrees outside. So this has given us an opportunity to clean the shop, get organized for the race season, really narrow in on the events that we want to go to and I perform well at. Um, and it's also given us a little bit of different avenues to think about other, other uh, forms of racing. So uh, wing cart racing is becoming a, a little bit more popular in this area. So we kind of looked into doing a little bit of that this summer as well. Um, but uh, yeah, more than anything, it's just getting organized and, and trying to uh, be able to come out of the gate really strong when we do get back to racing. Right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and we talked a little bit before we actually started recording. So I want to kind of touch base a little bit later on about some specifics as far as um, exercising and, and health and stuff like that goes pertaining to people listening. But uh, as as always, when um, when I have someone on, like we, this is the first time we've talked, so I don't know a lot about you. I try to, I kind of Facebook stalk everyone to kind of see like what their hobbies are and kind of what it kind of represents a little overview of kind of what you're into and uh, CrossFit. And it seems like exercise and health is definitely something that's, that is an important part and a big part of your life, just like racing. How, how did that all come about? Is that something that you've always been into from a young age or is it something that you got into later on in life? So being active is something that I've, I've done my entire life. Uh, I played sports from the moment that my parents could sign me up for competitive sports. So um, when you play sports, I played soccer for a really long time. Um, Running, lifting, all those things are really important. Uh, As you become more serious and more competitive in those sports, those aspects of it become increasingly important. And so from a young age, uh, running, doing uh, weightlifting, um, all of those things became very, very important. Uh, I wrestled in high school as well and ran track. So you, you different sports uh, lend themselves to having different forms of, of training. And so I, I became immersed in it from a young age. And that's just carried over something that I enjoy, I'm passionate about. And it's been a part of me pretty much since uh, the day I could walk. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and is that something, as far as like, we'll just talk about you for you personally right now. Like, what is. What kind of uh, like workout or exercise plan do you have? Not really plan like details, but how many, how often do you work out throughout the week? And does that vary like throughout racing season or do you kind of maintain the same schedule throughout the year? So definitely during the times of year that we're racing less, I can obviously devote a little more attention to exercise. Um, I work out six, seven days a week. Um, I do CrossFit, which is a, a uh, functional fitness program. Uh, it's constantly varied, meaning that you're never really doing the same thing. It's uh, also a, on, on one side of it, it's a competitive sport. Um, I do compete in CrossFit every once in a while when I've got time. Uh, my time's limited, obviously, because of a full-time job and a, a pretty uh, busy race schedule during the summer months. Um, so, I mean, in a given day, uh, I work out anywhere from about 60 to 90 minutes. Um, the Exercises vary. One day could be a heavy lifting day. The next day could be completely devoted to cardio. 
Uh, there could be a, a mix of modalities in there between weightlifting, gymnastics, and cardio. Uh, just really depends on the day and how I've programmed and structured that day to be. Okay. Do you, are you familiar with Kelly Starlet or is it Starlet yeah, or Star? Yeah. Yeah. Real big mobility guy, so he wrote a book called Supple Leopard. It's uh, kind of the uh, the mobility bible. And um, so, if uh, you're having any kind of ailments or any kind of mobility issues that restrict movement, that's a, a great source. He's a really really smart guy in the world of mobility and uh, functional movement. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I brought it up. I, I have that book and um, the the newest edition. I know there was an, it's been around for a while. Wow, but um, so I got into training for martial arts because my son and I had a pinched nerve in my lower back, and uh, I really—I mean, I'm—I'll be 40 this year, so I'm kind of getting to the age too where it's uh, the mobility and functioning for a long time, not just currently, is something that has become more important to me. And I think, as far as the exercise goes, and we'll get later on—you know—get into it a little bit later on. I feel like even with go kart racing. You know, 10 or 15 years ago, it wasn't as big of a deal. But I think as everything and knowledge is out there and, and everything gets a little bit tighter as far as times and teams, um, I, I feel like the physical attribute of the driver is really has become more into play than it ever has in the past. You know, I feel like with it, with any sport, um, as the, the sport evolves, so does the, the athlete in the sport, uh, regardless if that's uh you know, a stick and ball sport or, or motor sports, um, the, the better conditioned you are, the better you perform start to finish in a race or over the course of the day. Um, so, I mean, I, I won't, I won't sit here and say that, uh, obviously, uh, having a super high level of fitness is, is going to drastically change your performance on the racetrack, but every little bit can't hurt. You know, if you, uh, feel a little bit better at the end of a race and you're, you're sharper and fresher, that's only going to help you perform. And, if that's the little bit that edges you out over your competition, then great. That's a, that's a positive. Yeah. And especially over, um, at least from my perspective, over the years, as the race days have really, uh, maybe not gotten, you know, they've gotten longer, at least they're long in general. And generally the, the larger paying money classes and the more important event of the, of the day is kind of towards the end of the day. And after running three or four or five other classes, um, you know, it's definitely become a, becoming a bigger thing. Um, so like I said, we'll get back to that. But um, just kind of, uh, if you don't mind, how um, give me a little bit about your background and kind of how you got introduced to the sport of karting and um, just maybe like your early years as far as karting goes. Okay, so uh, I'll kind of start with uh, my dad is who got me into kart racing. Um, a fun fact with that is, is he's super old and uh, he started <laughs> racing back when, when karts were invented. So in the uh, early days of kart racing, uh, my grandfather bought him a kart when they, it was a brand new sport, brand new everything. Nobody knew anything about anything. And uh, they raced for a couple years, and he really enjoyed it. Uh, has had a huge passion for racing his whole life. Um, life happened. He got busy, didn't race for a really long time. When I was uh, born, he knew that that was something that he wanted to get back into. So in uh, 92, um, I would have been seven years old, he, uh, he started racing and, uh, he raced for about a year and a half. And then I, I got my first cart. And, uh, so we raced local for a really long time. My first race was actually here in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, they've only had maybe, I think three races ever here, uh, in my, uh, my hometown. And, uh, the very first event that I got to take place in was in February, I think of, uh, 
I want to say it was 94, and uh, it was an indoor race, and very first heat race out on the racetrack, I hit the wall and flipped. So that's uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so back, like back then, and um, like the early '90s in the Midwest, what are what were some of the series that were running that were the bigger events going on? I mean, I I was definitely I was in karting, but I, f- I feel like everything that I saw was out of the WK magazine was coming. I mean, more from like the southeast as far as the dirt oval stuff goes. Right. And so out here, uh, we didn't have a tremendous amount of series events. Uh, What you had out here is you had your IKF Nationals every year, which was just a a massively huge event in the Midwest. The IKF Nationals were uh, were huge and, and, and very, very prestigious event back then. Uh, you also had the Tulsa Shootout, which is synonymous in all forms of racing. Um, huge event every year. Those were really the two, uh, you know, golden jewels, I guess, of the Midwest there. And uh, smaller series that took place. We had a regional series that was in Missouri called the Missouri Dirt Series. It, it was uh, a lot of two-day shows at various local racetracks. And, and that's kind of really where we cut our teeth and where we raced. Uh, I know that IKF for several years, had their uh, Midwest uh, Dirt Series, and and that was a, a pretty uh, popular series. And then um, that that pretty much, I think, takes up the 90s. If you move into the 2000s, that's kind of when that WKA influence started making its way to the Midwest, and, uh, and our formatting and series and, and things started changing to be more like the Southeast. Okay. So when you when you start first started racing, so you raced um, you raced in your hometown for your first race. Um, after after you uh, got done flipping, you kind of got back on it and you started going again. When did um, where were some of the close tracks in the series, or I guess the races that you ran? Um, you know, like through the first few years, I guess throughout the night. Were you traveling at all? Or were you racing more of like a local type deal? So so unlike the the southeast where you can really go race within about an hour and a half at at several different racetracks. Uh, We did still have to travel a little bit. The closest racetrack to us was about two hours away, uh, right outside of Kansas city. And it was uh, uh, Richmond, Missouri is the name of the town. And, and uh, we raced there for years. Uh, Organization called the Ray County Carters ran that track. It was on a fairgrounds and, uh, and they raced there for years and years. In fact, one of the uh, cart nationals was held there. Um, Really neat little racetrack, uh, neat racing community, and uh, and that's where we really raced a lot. There was a couple of other smaller racetracks that were in the area that we would race at from time to time, uh, but that was really the, uh, the the track there in the Kansas City area, aside from another racetrack in Topeka, that uh, really drew a lot of cards. Okay. <clears throat> when... So you- so you were playing sports at a young age and you were also racing go-karts. I know when I was younger, you know, the rule was always, I had to go play sport, which I wanted to anyway, but I played sports because when I got older, I wouldn't have sports. I would have go-karts. So that was kind of like the rule that I followed. How, how did sports and racing kind of combine and coexist in your life? Um, kind of like through your younger years, maybe like even through your teenage years. So it was a, it was a tough balance to try to, to keep, um, all the way until college, honestly. Um, I played soccer on a pretty high level. I was on a traveling team, and we went uh, all over the place. And so 
during the, the summer months on, on weekends that I didn't play soccer, we would go race. But uh, soccer was really the, the primary uh, focus then. Uh, into high school, obviously you don't play as many sports on the weekend in high school, but uh, I wrestled quite a bit. And so uh, wrestling took a primary spot in high school and uh, that didn't really phase out and allow racing to really be the focus until I was graduated and into college. Okay. And just kind of out of curiosity, I mean, I, I only wrestled for a few years in, um, in middle school and high school. And I really, I, I wrestled to stay in shape in between soccer and baseball, but it was by far the most demanding sport ever. Um, and it's, I, I see similarities, at least since I've been back training, like between like the mentality, and I'm assuming this from like a wrestling mentality, kind of more to a CrossFit mentality. I don't know if that makes sense, but do you feel like CrossFit kind of kind of helps fill that void that maybe um, that you had when you were a little bit younger and really that I don't know how to explain it. I'm not really finding the right words, but it's it's just such a demanding thing. And, I, and I've never done CrossFit, but I've obviously watched it and and you're super into it. Is it, is it kind of a similar type mentality or am I just way off base here? No, no, absolutely. So, uh, being mentally tough, uh, is definitely, I think one of the, the attributes of wrestling that sets it apart. Uh, you know, at a high school level, it's, it's six minutes and you are giving everything you have to that for six minutes. And it's a struggle. Yeah. You know, not all the time does things go to plan and, and you do get very fatigued no matter how, in shape you are. Uh, CrossFit's very similar in that regard. You uh, you learn to uh, be comfortable being very, very uncomfortable. And uh, those two sports uh, carry that aspect well. Uh, it's not often in a, uh, you know, in a soccer game or in a, in a football or basketball game that you're to the absolute point of pure exhaustion where you can't stand or, or uh, you're so uncomfortable that you just want to quit. Uh, there's there's downtime in those in those sports whereas with a, a wrestling or a crossfit um there is no downtime and so there's not a lot of time to recover and um and those those two things do feed off of each other i uh, i coach crossfit and one of the things that i really emphasize to all the athletes that i work with is, is mental toughness and really kind of trying to push through discomfort and i think a lot of that i learned uh wrestling in high school Right on. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know how some people get this, but there's just, there's nothing scarier to me as a man than, than another man that has cauliflower ear. Like, there's just something about that, man, that just scares me to death, man. Yeah, I definitely, uh, <laughs> guys are pretty tough looking dude. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so would you say, when would you say that you really got, um, and I mean, you, you're, you're obviously into racing, you've been into it for a while, but when do you feel like you had the time and the energy um, to really, really put behind karting in a big way? Because like you said, growing up with sports, you know, you, you were always in it, but it, it's hard to really dedicate that time with all the other activities going on. Um, when, when did that kind of start to transpire for you where you really, really took an interest to go karting and actually had the time uh, to really put behind it probably the way that you wanted to? Um, so that, that's a really easy question for me to answer. I know exactly when it took place. In uh, fall of 2005, um, Jody Krug got back into kart racing pretty seriously in the Midwest. Um, Jody was a, a mentor of mine and, and somebody that I, I watched race from a young age. 
and uh, went tons of Tulsa shootouts, um, always fast everywhere they went. Uh, when he got back into kart racing, I saw him race at Lasoski Speedway in Missouri, and uh, we went ahead and bought a kart from Jody uh, during that time period. And it was uh, in working with Jody that I realized that if you want to do well in this sport on a really high level, the amount of effort and focus and energy it takes was far more than I was currently putting into it. And uh, that's when the gears changed, and that's when um, we went from you know doing well to uh, to really starting to win some bigger events and and really really start to enjoy the sport more. When so you said you didn't realize until then when was it through conversation with Jody or was it through you traveling with them and helping a little bit to actually see it? How um, do you kind of remember, like, how did you kind of realize like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I thought it was this, but it's actually this whole other thing of effort to put into it. Well, uh, so it's a little bit of both, obviously tons of conversation, um, and also, uh, racing alongside of them. Um, prior to that, racing had always been secondary and fun for me and uh, and we still would do pretty well uh, on a regional level around here and i didn't take an active interest in learning and understanding uh, chassis dynamics uh, tire prep um, really what it took to make the cart fast um, I, I let my dad do a lot of that and 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 so I, I was just working with what I had. It wasn't until that I started racing with Jody that I started to really appreciate and understand the chassis uh, setup side of things, uh, how important tires were. Um, and, and in doing that, when you learn more about it and you start to understand more about it, it becomes kind of addicting to, to learn more and, and try things and see what the result does. And uh, from an organization standpoint, uh, you can't show up to a Tulsa shootout and, and not be 100% prepared. If you do that, you don't do well. Uh, same thing on the, the East Coast. If you talk to any of the, the, the major teams out there, if you half-ass or show up with you know, not everything that you need, uh, you, you probably aren't going to perform well. And it, uh, it really wasn't until we started racing with him that that, that changed and that, that I – really began to understand that yeah not, it, you kind of just touched base on the, the chassis dynamics part and that's kind of how you came up on my radar is and it was about a year ago i saw some of my memories from facebook when wesley leblanc was on and the the two people that he mentioned um you know was mike halliburton and also phil snyder so i talked to phil obviously i think maybe you guys talk a little bit um or at least know each other and then you know one of the things that that he said that he would have liked to done is had a podcast with all three of you guys or, or, you know, maybe even a couple more and really just talk about chassis balance and things like that. Um, when someone, if someone comes to you and asks you like, what, you know, what does having a balanced chassis mean to you? Um, and there's no right or wrong answer, but how, how would you try to explain that to someone and not just a newbie, but someone that has a, a general idea, but, um, so uh, I'll answer this uh, in this way. Like I, I'm not overly smart on any of this stuff and don't profess to be overly smart. Uh, I think some of the, the things that I do is try to keep everything as absolutely simple as possible. 
Uh, I'm never a wholesale change person. If I make changes, I might make one change during a weekend and see how that change affects the cart over the entire day and then learn from that. It was either a positive or a negative. Go to the racetrack the next weekend, make a different change, see how that affects the cart over the entire day. Um, so I think that when, when we talk about balance and, and changing things, uh, I'm a person that wants to uh, keep variables as simple as possible and eliminate a variable one at a time. And uh, in doing that, you, uh, it, it takes longer. So the, the progression of uh, performance might take a little bit longer, but you, you definitely understand and know exactly what that one change did and how it affects the cart, and you, you move on from there. So I think, if anything, it's, it's the way that I approach it. Um, I'm slow, methodical, and try to keep things as simple as possible. Uh, that'll play into your favor in, in the long run. Uh, however, in the, in the short term, uh, you might not always see the result immediately. And, um, and that's just kind of the, my philosophy and the way I approach it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree any more with that. Um, that, was, that was well put because as I'm asking you the question, you know, I thought about the question. I just didn't think about if I was answering it. So, um, no, I, I agree, man. I couldn't have. Uh, I mean, you said it well. And I think that's that's the problem. I, even for me, I mean, we traveled, you know, I'm from Delaware, but we hit the southeast and mid-Atlantic a lot. And um, for me, this is kind of weird, but I always tell people, one of the biggest things for me as like a tire guy or chassis guy or whatever it was, I was, was having a child because it gave me the patience to try to, like you said, to make a change and, and ride it out for, you know, like you said, a weekend or a couple of weeks, make sure that, you know, it's not that, you know what I mean? Because when you start putting tires on for grip and stuff like that, it's, it's easy to throw yourself off and get back to the days where we all started, where we changed two washers, a five pound left side weight, move the left rear. You know, we do all these things and have no idea what happened when we did it, you know? Oh, I, I, I agree. I mean, the worst thing that you can have going on in your trailer, the argument you can be having with yourself is, is it the cart or is it the tires? That right there makes for the worst day at the racetrack. Because if you don't know that what you're sitting on isn't balanced and that's not what it needs to be, how can you ever know that the tires are going to be right? And, uh, and so uh, for me, it's, it's making sure that we've got a really, really solid balanced setup underneath the cart. And then it makes it very, very easy and almost very predictable to know what to do with tires. And uh, that I think you see in, in, the, in the big teams, the ones that are the most consistent. Um, that's what you've got there is that they're no longer ever concerned about that chassis. They're totally focused on making sure that the tires are right and knowing exactly what they need there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. And like you said, just to add on to that, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of how I learned too from, um, from Hammer, who I learned from. And basically you have a balanced cart and you adjust the grip on tires, you know, for the most part. Um, and it's, it's hard for a lot of people, myself included to understand that until you actually see it, you know, um, you know, to go out there and pick up four tenths or five tenths based on the set of tires as opposed to other things. But, um, so, so when you, so when you started getting, you know, you're starting to get serious about this, you, um, you're obviously you're, you're out of high school. Are you still in college at this time when you're, yeah. okay. So you're still in college and, um, 
So as you start to take this serious, are you starting to try to travel and race more, um, like bigger events? Are you just trying to race more whenever you can? How 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 is that working? Like as you're going through college, and are are you living close to home when you're in college, or or how's that working? So college college was about an hour and a half away from the shop. Um, however, college was in Warrensburg, Missouri, where Lasoski Speedway is, and so um, I I raced at Lasoski quite a bit all the way through college uh the nice part about that was that at that point in time that's really when lasoski speedway was becoming the uh the midwest uh racetrack the track that uh, held the biggest events and a uh, big fast uh, fifth mile high banked racetrack and so uh, in that time everything kind of just fell into place because all the the bigger races were coming closer to where i was at um, being a full-time student, it was still difficult to get to the shop and, and get organized. And so, therefore, it was more about making sure you're ready for the races you go to rather than just go race. Uh, I've never been a big fan of just going and racing. Um, I, if I'm going to go to a race, I want to be prepared for that. And that might mean that we don't race every weekend. That might mean that we race every two or three weekends to make sure that we're ready to go when we do go race. I agree. And so when you're, all right, let's, okay, so you're doing that. And once you get out of college, are you, like, kind of where's your, your carding sitting then? Are you, I'm assuming you're starting to look for a, a, you know, I say a real job. You're starting to look for maybe, like, your career job and you're still racing. Are you still trying to race as much as possible? Is that taking a back seat? So um, uh, when I went to college, I got a, finance degree with a minor in economics and uh, I got that degree knowing that one day I would use that I really didn't know where that was going to take me or how I was going to use that so the last two years of college I raced quite a bit we traveled a, a ton during the summertime when I graduated I got a job at a, a local gym in Columbia and uh, took over as a, a, a trainer there uh, the fitness came back into the fold and so this was the first time in my life now that I had some uh, you know, a large amount of free time, um, decent enough income to you know to sustain life, and uh, therefore I raced a lot. Uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, uh, I raced a, a lot, and uh, we traveled the Midwest. Uh, we ran a lot of Burris shows in the Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Indiana, Illinois area. And, uh, and so we raced uh, quite a bit. And, and so it, it really was not necessarily the, the sole focus. I obviously had a, a day job, but the, the day job wasn't as uh, mentally demanding or time demanding uh, because of the, the, the schedule that I had. And so it really opened me up to be able to race quite a bit. And when you were racing, um, you know, you're hitting it full force then. What are some of your favorite... Uh, what are some of your favorite memories back then and some of the some of the races that you went to kind of like through that little stretch of when you really started taking it serious and who was traveling with you at that time? So uh, first big memory was uh, 2006 when I won uh, the Tulsa shootout and I was racing with Jody at a Jody's trailer um, pretty much from about 2006 until about 2009, I, I raced with Jody pretty well everywhere we raced. Um, myself, uh, his boys, uh, Eddie Bros, we all raced together for a while. 
And, and that was a, a really, really, really fun time and a really successful time um, in racing for all of us. And uh, really, really blessed to have that experience. Learned a lot from Jody, learned a lot from Eddie. And, uh, and there's a lot of awesome memories uh, that came with that. Um, in 2009, I got an opportunity to go to race for uh, L&J Karting when Jim Jones owned that company and uh, took advantage of that. And that was kind of the, the next step in, in my racing from there. So when you were when you were racing with and, and I'm I'm sorry I'm not familiar with Jody Krug is Jody Krug I mean is that like Krug for like um like Krug Green like the prep and stuff out there like uh, was it Jacob Krug maybe one of the yeah sons? yeah so those are those are his boys. okay and yeah Jody Jody's the one that invented that prep and uh and uh Jody didn't race a lot in the southeast ever um mm-hmm. you know, he was uh, raced out here quite a bit um, IKF Nationals Cart Nationals I think he's won like. 18 drillers at Tulsa. So, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, had a successful career. Um, but, yeah, so that's primarily who I raced with. And uh, there's a lot of memories, uh, a lot of good stuff that went on during those times. Uh, kind of got to, to watch his boys grow up. Uh, got to race with Eddie Bros quite a bit. Um, and there's a lot of fun times. Uh, and then, uh, then, as I said, kind of progressed from there into uh, – working with uh, Jim Jones at L&J Karting for a couple of years. Um, that was a lot of fun. Had a lot of success there. And then uh, then kind of that was the uh, time frame around 2010 where I decided that I might start uh, diving into the uh, uh, consulting side of things, uh, helping juniors, uh, doing some tires for other people, um, mm-hmm. kind of start getting my feet wet with that. Throughout the time you were running with Krug and L&J Karting, were you, were you just driving? Were you um, also kind of um, – oh, actually, let me see two things here. Were you running mostly Burris or Maxis back then? And when you were, were you doing the tires and the setups? Or were you uh, a, little, a little bit of both? Or were you just driving? How did that um, scenario kind of work out when you were running for both those guys? So I did all the, all the tires for myself. Uh, okay. Obviously, there's a lot of, there's a lot of influence from, from others uh, during that time as I was learning, but uh, that was something that I, I wanted to do and something that I felt was necessary to do. If you're if you're ever going to be super successful in anything you do, you have to understand the why behind it, and uh, and so that was a, a great opportunity to learn a lot about tires, a lot about setup. Um, you know, uh, I'll use Eddie as an example. Eddie and I raced with each other for a really long time, and uh, neither one of us had the same preference on setup at all. We might go out on the racetrack and be turning identical lap times and the carts don't have a single number in them that are the same. And so uh, setup wise, I learned what worked for me. I learned what didn't work for me. Uh, and uh, same thing with tires. And uh, that that's worked its way through all the way even until now. Okay. Well, that's what I was kind of wondering. And um, so like when you were doing tires, with crud i'm just trying to get like in the mindset of you i mean you're going through your progression and so you're you're doing you know you're working with krug you're you know you're racing with them you're doing your own tires when you decided to make that jump um and i don't know the the specifics around it but when you decided to do that to go to l and j carding uh a couple things one were you a little Okay, were you a little uh, hesitant or a little, I guess, were the doubts kind of creeping in a little bit? Just wondering, like, can you go somewhere else? Because that would kind of prove 
I think that would that was going to be the moment that probably proved to you that you could do it because it wasn't just where you were; it was also wherever you were. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Like you went to the next team, you still had success. Was that like the light bulb? Like, okay, I can do this. Where you finally proved it to yourself, or did you kind of already know that you could do it? I mean, at that point in time, I felt like I I was I had a pretty good grasp on what I was doing. I think the, the biggest thing that came with the switch was is that uh, racing for uh, L&J karting, um, I, there was a, a, a shift in um, here's motors, here's carts, go win races. That's what we want you to do. Um, when I was racing uh, with Avenger and Jody Krug, he's the, uh, had the manufacturer of Avenger racing chassis, which was a Midwest go-kart. Uh, mm-hmm. it, there was a go-win races, but we also had a lot of customers that were running the cart. And so it was, it was helping customers. It was, uh, you know, very, very team-oriented. And so it was more of a, a family atmosphere. When, uh, when I shifted gears and went to L&J to race, it was, you're here to, to do a job, go do your job. Right. So, okay, so you had, you obviously had success there, and then you got to the point where, how did, how did you start to think about doing your own, like your own deal as far as consulting and tires and things like that? Was, is it something you thought about for a while? Was it a moment that happened? Was it um, just kind of like the process? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that either make the jump or never make the jump that are probably good enough to do it, you know what I mean? And I just kind of like the mindset that maybe you were in at that time, um, leading up to the point of you leaving L and J, going to um, to start your own deal, uh, if you remember. So, so I, I've always uh, loved helping people, and so uh, you, you can ask uh, anybody that knows me. If you come up to me at the racetrack and you've got a question, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll answer your question for you, and that's just kind of the person I am. So the uh, the consulting side of things happen pretty organically. Um, when you have any any level of success in anything that you do. Uh, people are going to ask questions. And so some of the questions you get asked are, you know, can you do a set of tires for me? Um, what preps do you use? Uh, things of that nature. And so uh, we've been a, a Maxxis tire distributor uh, at Trackside since 1998. And so it made sense being that we, we carried the tire that was the primary tire out here that, you know, maybe we needed to start trying to help people that were running on a more uh, regional or uh, national level in the Midwest uh, with tires. And so uh, I would have people call and order a couple of sets of tires and I would just do them the way that I did them and tell them some of the things that I was doing to them. And, uh, you know, some people had some success with it. Some people didn't. And uh, it just kind of um, evolved from there into uh, learning more and, and understanding the different classes and um, and really beginning to push that side of it to, to understand that there's a little bit of money to be made there. And there's also a lot of knowledge to be gained by having uh, more carts on the racetrack um, at an event. And over the course of a season, you just learn more, the more, the more information you're getting in. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> when you're, so currently right now, like after last year, I guess, or whenever we get back to racing, when you go to one of the bigger events that you guys go to throughout the year, how many how many people are you helping 
Um, do you guys all fit together? And are you also racing um, as much as you were now? Are you kind of taking a step back and just helping customers at the track? So um, at any given um, Maxis event that we might have in, in the Midwest or just any, any large event that we might have in the Midwest, uh, I'm usually helping anywhere from about six to ten teams and, um, and then I also am racing myself. Um, I've got a, a core group of, of customers that, uh, are in the same pit area that I am. And, and, I, I help them uh, a little bit more hands-on, uh, simply enough. Uh, those individuals have, uh, invested in, in, uh, in our team and are helping to, to make everyone better. And so, I do my best to to help them out and make sure that their their kids are are fast and are learning and doing it the right way. Um, it does make for a pretty long day at the racetrack, being that I am also trying to race and still run multiple classes at an event. And um, we've got quite a bit of help in the pit area to try to counteract that. But uh, yeah, so uh, at most races, we've got a, a core group of individuals, uh, at least three or four teams. And then most times it's anywhere from six to 10 teams that we're helping. Okay. Um, what? Okay. So when you got into doing tires, um, you kind of started your own deal as far as consulting and things like that. From your perspective, do you try, I guess, I guess everyone would prefer this, but do you try to get, if someone wants to kind of get in your camp, do you like everyone to be on the same chassis for the whole, you know, going back to eliminating variables, or do you, are you kind of open on that? And has that kind of progressed over the years from when you first started to now? So that's um, definitely changed over the course of time. Obviously, I had less influence on who rode what when I first started uh, consulting for people. Mm -hmm. uh, as that has uh, moved over the course of time, um, I, I race for kinetic racing chassis in Wesley LeBlanc. And so uh, I'd be lying if I said it wouldn't make sense for everybody to be running a kinetic. Um, I know that car well. Um, it makes it does eliminate variables. But uh, we, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I can't force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. And there are other good carts on the market as well. Um, and so if somebody comes to me and they're riding a specific chassis, um, I'll tell them right away, hey, I, I don't know as much about that cart. I can definitely help you with tires, but I can't promise you that everything's going to be perfect. Um, I am very familiar with uh, Phantom's Junior Triton as well. Uh, that cart's been out, you know, for a really long time. There's a tremendous amount of, of data on it, and so I do have a few junior drivers that still run those. Uh, that, that cart is it's excellent for the Junior 1 class, um, and so yeah, I, I would love to say that, uh, you know, it would make things easier to have everyone on the same chassis, but it, it all the time doesn't work out that way. Right. How, how, how did you get hooked up with Wesley with kinetic racing chassis? So I've known Wesley for a really long time. I think it was uh, where Wesley and I had our first conversation was at the O'Reilly indoor nationals in Batesville in 2010 when they had the 20,000 to win race there mm -hmm. and um, Wesley and I got to talk a handful of times in the stands while we were timing people um, I had known about him because of the uh, the Mississippi Dirt Series and I had been down there to run a couple of those shows um, over the course of years 
And uh, he's a good guy, uh, super smart, and uh, one of the, the most motivated people I've ever met. And when you're around somebody like that, you uh, it just that makes you more motivated. And so Wesley and I became good friends. Um, he had a, a tire prep line, uh, wax uh, prep. Um, we bought and sold that for uh, you know a few years while Wesley was was doing tires and and selling prep. At that point in time, it was a situation where it was a lot easier for me just to buy prep from Wesley and use that prep and sell that prep. And it was good stuff. It worked. Uh, our relationship kind of built from there. Um, as kinetic racing chassis rolled around, uh, as I said, I'm a person that's pretty methodical in the way that I approach things. Uh, Wesley's a really, really good friend of mine, but it took a couple of years of convincing before I was ready to, to jump ship and go ahead and ride uh, his cart. Um, I believe it was beginning of the 2017 summer. Uh, I called Wesley after we just gotten back from a Maxis event and didn't have the best weekend, told him to get me a cart ordered. Uh, cart was <laughs> there in less than a week. Uh, first weekend out on that cart. We, uh, we won, um, every class we ran and it's kind of just, you know, that solidified everything. That's where we needed to be. And that's what I needed to be doing was, uh, was helping Wesley and, and supporting what he's doing and his efforts. And the, the performances have only gotten better and more consistent then. And, and, and um, here we are now three years later and uh, I wouldn't want to be riding anything else. Gotcha. Yeah, I was I was really impressed when I talked to him. That was the first time I'd ever talked to him about a year ago. And I, I remember telling my brother that, man, if I was getting back in go karts, I would think that that would be one of the first places I would at least call and, and talk to Wesley. You know, he seems like even the way he has you guys set up, I, you know, I say you guys, but a variety of um, I think even in his words, just you know, people that are into it that are fairly young and and really knowledgeable. He has like a nice little ecosystem kind of set up. And um, it's kind of like a good format, in my opinion, for even guys that are smaller than him to kind of follow that. that oh, little yeah. Model, I mean, so what, he, what he's done is just it's taken time. And and like I said, I don't know very many people that are willing to work as hard and take as many risks as he has. And um, and you've got to appreciate that. And that motivates you to want to do better for him. Um, you know, when when somebody puts their – they're all into everything. It makes it really, really easy for you to perform on a higher level and try to try to match that energy. Yeah. And, you know, like you alluded to earlier and, um, you know, it's all about eliminating variables. And if you know that, you know, you want to be able to eliminate the variable of your chassis. And you, if you have someone there that's, that has as much on the line as him, especially as a smaller company and, and him is like the head of it, like he has more invested. And that's something that, I think everyone would want rather be a motor company or chassis or tires or whatever, you know? So, um, but, uh, so I want to kind of get back to, um, like your racing in general, like, so you've, you've been racing throughout, you know, for several years now from a driver's point of view, um, as far as the sport changing over say the roughly the last 20 years or 25 years or so, what are some of the things that you you like in as far as far as where the sport's heading and maybe where you'd like to eventually see it, you know, either from a business point of view or even from just driving? Are there any things that kind of stick out to you? So I think uh, uh, two easy things to point out. Obviously, the numbers of, of racers down and that's across all forms of motorsports. 
However, mm-hmm. the level of competition has done nothing but increase. Um, what what you see is it it is a lot harder to win races now than it ever has been with less people in the sport. Um, so I appreciate that from a competitive standpoint. Winning races is still tremendously difficult, and uh, that's that's the fun, challenging part of of what we do. Um, where I want to see the sport go from here and where I think it is going is, you know, uh, somehow, some way, the, uh, the sport has to uh, find a way to continually bring new people in. Um, like any business that you have, you know, racing is, is a business and you have to be retaining enough people for the loss that you're going to have as they move on to other motorsports or just uh, lose interest in the sport. And so um, with the advent of, you know, the Predator motor, uh, there's a lot of different spec tire deals that are trying to go on out there. You know, uh, Maxis has, has done their part with, with trying to uh, buy tires at the racetrack at several events to eliminate the, the prep game as much. Um, I think those are some of the things that are going to need to take place in order to continually grow the sport. Um as far as uh, how I like the sport now, uh, I love it. Um, and, and the reason I do, <coughs> I get to kind of race when I want to and, and how often I want to. And, and the races that I get to go to are, are bigger events that pay well. Um, that's something that I've, I think I've seen change over the last 20 years in kart racing is the 20 years ago, a 500 to win was a big race. And you you'd still leave the racetrack possibly not making any money or uh, or just breaking even. Now when you go to a race, uh, pro races, depending upon where you're at in the country, usually no less than $1,000, upwards of, of $10,000, depending upon the, the race that you're at on the, on the southeast side of things. And that allows for it to be a, a more lucrative sport if, if you do well. I mean, you obviously have to perform well in order to, to win money, but it allows for you to leave the racetrack at the end of the weekend and, and have made money. And I appreciate that as somebody that is a little bit older and my time is worth more now, that uh, the, the hours that I spend to get ready to go to a race, uh, the time away from uh, family and loved ones, um, I, I get that back. There's a monetary reward and incentive for the hard work that I, I put in. Absolutely. Well said. Do you... So we talked about the good, um, like kind of looking back, do you have a favorite failure of incarting that, um, you know, I mean, this turned out to be a good thing in the end or just something that that's happened that at the time, maybe you didn't understand or it really kind of put you down, but in the end it actually made you better either as a human or as a, you know, as a cart racer, so to speak, or as a mentor to the kids, you know? Yeah. So, uh, there's a ton of failures. So let's be real here. So there's too many to even yeah. And uh, I would say the uh, the most recent one that sticks with me, um, 2018 Max Daddy in the Midwest, uh, went to that race with a game plan and executed the game plan perfectly. Wanted to go out and sit on the pole, did that. Wanted to lead the first 25, did that by about a half a lap. Uh, made a mistake at the, at the halfway point, didn't take any air pressure out. And uh, ended up losing that race. Uh, Austin Banker drove a hell of a race and ended up winning that. And uh, looking at that spe- specific uh, moment, um, it was 
not allowing myself to break away from a game plan, knowing that what I was doing was wrong. And so, uh, and then also, you know, being okay with, with the fact that uh, I did everything that I could to have performed well, and it just didn't work out. And so uh, with my kids, when they race, you know, they obviously have a lot less control over what's going on because they don't make a lot of calls. And so as a kid, it's really difficult to uh, understand maybe why you didn't win a race and then sometimes maybe understand that it wasn't your fault. And so um, there was a moment like that when, when that happened to me that it was a good reminder that, you know, sometimes things just don't turn out the way you want them to. And that, uh, you know, you've got to be okay from that, learn from that and use that as, as fuel to uh, perform even better next time. Um, that's one of literally hundreds of uh, failures in, in the course of my career that have helped motivate me to, to want to be better. Um, I use the, the term, you know, when we're in the trailer and I'm talking to my race team, I don't ever look at it as losing. I look at it as learning as cliche as that sounds and as kind of uh, corny as that sounds, uh, any loss, something can be learned from that. And so that's a, that's a positive. If you were to go out and win all the time, it's really hard to learn. And, and, and you get stuck in, in doing the same things over and over and over again. And so uh, with any struggle that you have, uh, that's only going to make you better if you, if you let it. Yeah, you're right. It does sound corny, but I always say that life is really a bunch of cliches kind of strung together. You know, they've stuck around forever because of because there is some truth to that. You know, um, just kind of from from your point of view, um, and I'm just I'm going to assume that you've helped kids racing that have both played sports before racing or during racing, and then also maybe kids that have not. Have you ever, I mean, have you noticed a difference in the kids that haven't played sports take losing or maybe get discouraged a little easier than maybe some of the kids that have played and lost and kind of got used to it a little bit? Or has, has that not stuck out to you at all, maybe? So I, uh, I don't know necessarily that the losing part um, is drastically affected by that, but you can tell kids that have played competitive sports because they're, they're, they're competitive. They're typically more aggressive, and uh, they typically uh, – tend to let let things bother them less um whereas when when a a kid the only form of competitive sports they have is racing there's not a team aspect there for one so you uh it's hard for you to understand that things are out of your control because you uh you don't have the patience or or the wherewithal to trust anyone else um and so I'd say, I guess my best way of answering that question is I can always tell pretty quickly if a kid has played any kind of uh, competitive sports or organized sports, uh, just with their reactions to things, um, the way that they uh, perform on the racetrack in, in a big group, um, those kind of things. So you can definitely see a difference. And I would say that competitive sports are a huge advantage. Um, if, if your child has been in a a team sport or any kind of competitive sports uh, before or during racing, that's only going to be a positive. That's only going to help them. Yeah, absolutely, man. That was a great, great way of looking at it. <clears throat> when, okay, so let's, uh, something I wanted to kind of circle back to, um, let's touch base before we finish up here on, on working or say workout exercising 
and its relationships to racy. Um, I don't, I've seen enough CrossFit videos and know that's probably not something I'm going to do, to be honest with you, and probably not something that most people are going to do. So um, you're going to be an outlier for this, for this uh, conversation. So let's take, <laughs> let's take you out of it, and, um, which I think it's awesome too. I mean, I, the benefits of martial arts for myself and my family just is one of the first things I could find that outside of you know, college and high school of getting in shape that was having fun. So I'm sure it's kind of the same way with CrossFit. Um, but for like, uh, we'll just say, um, let's start off with like a teenage boy, you know, or a girl that's, that's kind of listening to this. If you could maybe just offer three suggestions to them and I'll go to the adults after this, uh, and maybe it's the same, I'm not sure. But if you had maybe three exercises that, um, that you could maybe suggest to people listening to improve, you know, their ability to last longer and perform better throughout the day and, and late into the night, uh, especially now where people are sitting around and not getting those laps to build up, you know, the um, the neck muscles and things like that. I mean, we're going to go from racing in the winter to racing on probably pretty good tracks that are biting up. Um, anything that that you would like to, you know, maybe suggest or offer out to someone listening that that could improve their game just a little bit when they do hit back on the racetrack? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, I'll, I'll touch on, uh, nutrition, um, get, get rid of soda. Um, any, any kind of a soda immediately get rid of it. Um, that will, that's a huge game changer. I don't care who you are. You can be a five-year-old or a 95 year old, um, eliminate that and, uh, and you'll change that up with, uh, some kind of electrolyte drink or uh, water and, uh, that that's a as big a game changer as you can possibly do for anything that you do. Um, on the exercise side of things, running or cycling for cardio. Um, a typical race lasts anywhere from about five to ten minutes, depending upon how long that race is, how many laps it is. So those need to be the the time domains that you work in and try to exert energy in. Uh, that's going to help your cardiovascular. It's going to help your breathing keeping you calm while you're racing. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in doing those exercises when it's hot. So you're, you're in the element that you're going to be racing in. So for myself, during the summertime, I exercise outside when it's uh, 90 degrees. So that when we get to the racetrack on Saturday, me being active at 90 degrees is not a big deal. Um, I, I try to get my, my kids to do the same thing. Um, Body weight movements, I'm a, I'm a big fan of pull-ups, push-ups, and uh, planks. And those three, uh, those are going to help increase your, your upper body strength, your upper body endurance. And then the planks are possibly the, the best core exercise that you can do for overall uh, core endurance and, and core strength. That's not just going to work your abs. It's also going to work your, your obliques, your lower back. Um, basically a total body movement there. So uh, keeping it simple, you got running, cycling, pull-ups, push-ups, and planks. Doing those a handful of days a week to at least to at least build some stamina is going to be uh, pay off huge dividends at the racetrack on the weekend. Good deal, man. Now, would you would you say that was pretty – that's pretty standard for both whether you're a teenager, a girl, a boy um, – an adult, those are pretty much, so they're going to kind of fit that mold, correct, for all of those. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's a, that's a one-size-fits-all there. There's right. obviously adjustments you can make for various ages, and if there's any kind of uh, 
movement restrictions or, or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, those, those right there, if consistently done would help anyone. doesn't matter age or anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, when you, when you kind of look back over, over the years of your racing, uh, rather when you first started or now, what are some of your favorite tracks that you've been to? Um, uh, can you hear me now? Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah, I lost you. There All you right. Go. Okay, no problem. I'll cut that out. Um, when what are some of your favorite tracks throughout the years that you've been racing? Uh, whether they're still around or if you know if they're not. So my favorite track hands down has got to be the Tulsa Shootout. Uh, that facility is amazing. Uh, when you walk in that building during the weekend, it, when you first walk in there, it's super quiet and it's massive. It's just a huge indoor facility. Uh, the racetrack is a, is a fifth mile indoors, so it's a fairly large racetrack. It's fast, and it's uh, just a prestigious building to be in. So that will always be number one. We don't get to race there anymore, which is sad, but uh, no greater feeling than, than uh, racing and, and doing well at that event and on that racetrack. So uh, that's definitely number one. Um, East Coast, I've only been to a handful of tracks. I really, really enjoyed Possum Kingdom. I'm glad to see that it's uh, reopened. And uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to try to make an event out there this year just because uh, that that's such a cool place, such a big, fast racetrack, and um, a lot of fun. So that's my southeast track there. Uh, I guess – Midwest-wise, uh, Lasoski Speedway, I probably turned more laps there than, than anyone has, being that it's close to home. Um, very, very cool, high-bank, fast racetrack. That's got to be my number one in the Midwest. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's there's three tracks right there. Um, there's been a ton of racetracks. I mean, I've been racing for a long time, so we've got a, a really cool opportunity to have raced in a lot of different areas on a lot of different racing surfaces and and so I've got to got to experience a lot of fun places, but those those three probably stick out the most. If you could win, we'll say this year, if there was um, one race that you could win yourself, what would it be? So uh, easy answer, Midwest Max Daddy for me. Uh, okay. I'm never going to be a, a big time Southeast racer. Uh, mm. Don't have time for it. It's too far away. And, uh, you know, without having raced out there for a while, the learning curve on, on what it takes to, to prepare tires properly for out there. Uh, don't have the time to do that anymore. So uh, uh, really the only thing left that I, that I want to win is a, is a orange jacket. Uh, got really close uh, two years ago. Uh, one of my teammates won it last year. And so uh, that would be a really cool way to kind of just be able to slow down and, and focus in on just the consulting side of things if we got that one taken care of. And maybe you already have someone that, that drives for you, but who, if you couldn't race and you only had a, you know, one cart team and someone had to drive for you in the adult classes. Um, and I hope you don't make anyone mad. I can cut this out, but who, who would that person or even a couple, a handful of people, who would those people be for you? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and answer that with, I'm, I'm not going to give you a squared away answer. That's something <laughs> I, have, I have thought a lot about. So, uh, over the last two years, uh, I'm, I'm 35. Uh, I've got a full-time job. Um, you know, things 
are starting to, to change in my world and, and need to, to slow down a little bit. And uh, having somebody else race for me is something that I have thought a lot about. Uh, I have several people that I, that I have in mind for when that time comes. Um, it's going to really, you know, it'll really depend on, on where they're at and what they're doing uh, when we get to that point. I gotcha. That's a fair answer. And um, maybe whenever that does happen and, uh, you know, they get into it a little bit, they can uh, come on here and tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and that's, that's kind of why I was asking you. Cause I, you know, you, when you said your age earlier, when back in 2005, or I was kind of doing the age and I knew you're, you know, you're about four or five years younger than I am. And I, I know you're kind of just, just listening to you talking to me. It seems like even for me, I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed. I always did tires for kids. And as they grew up, I, I stuck with them. But um, from a from a money point of view, I know for me, it was my way of traveling to, to all these big races. You know, I never had the money to do it. So to be able to do tires and um, and it was surprised me how much I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And it seems like when you talk about the kids you help or the racing or the, you know, trackside motorsports, it's, it seems like, you know, you've raced a lot and you've almost had your fill of that. And it just kind of seemed like, um, that was, that will be the next step. I'm assuming, you know, that you'll kind of, kind of go more towards the consulting and behind the scenes, so to speak, if you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's more of a, I'm at a point now where, doing tires for the, the core customers that I have, and then also doing my tires, that's about all I can handle from a time standpoint. And so if I step away, that allows for maybe one or two more customers to come on board and, uh, and, and be able to help a, a larger group of people. Uh, I get way more out of them winning than I ever do. Uh, trust me, I'm ultra competitive and I, and I, I love winning. It's like, getting seconds, not a thing like that's mm-hmm. not, not there to get second. I don't want to get second. Uh, if we don't win, that's a failed weekend in my mind for my racing where I'm at now. Um, the kids stuff, watching them learn, watching them get better is amazing. Uh, watching them get to have really, really, uh, awesome wins and, and a lot of success at a, at a younger age uh, than I did. Uh, is very rewarding for me. Uh, we raced on a very local level. Uh, didn't spend a, a ton of money when <clears throat> when I was a kid, and so getting to to watch uh, young boys and girls go out and, and win Max Daddies and and win big races and win uh, Max's series and do things like that at eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. That's awesome, and uh, those are memories that they'll get to have for the rest of their lives. And, uh, you know, they probably won't be in kart racing forever. And so that's just something that they'll get to look back on and, and you know, know from the start that they did a really, really great job and, and had really great success. So that's uh, that's the most rewarding part of it for me. And I, I enjoy that way more than I do my own racing now. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have kids? I do yourself? not. Okay. Um as far as I mean, we're kind of getting to the end here and something I wanted to touch base on. We actually, we talked about it before we started recording and we've kind of referred to trackside motorsports a little bit. Um, could you just kind of give me the history of, of trackside motorsports and how that started and kind of how that evolved over, you know, the past 10 years or so for you and your family? Yeah. So, um, in 90, I want to say it was like 97, um, we started racing quite a bit on a regional level, so many tracks in Missouri and Kansas. Um, 
where we're located, we had a lot of racers in our area and there was no shops that they could go and buy parts from. A lot of the major shops were in the Kansas City area and that's two hours away. So my dad thought it would be a good idea to start offering basically a large array of, of parts, supplies, tires, all of that, chassis for people that were in our area. Um, that became very popular, and, and we did that for several years. Had a full parts trailer at the racetrack, sold chassis, uh, tires, oil, you know, anything you could think of, we had it. And um, we would do chassis setup. Uh, I started building go-karts for people. Uh, did all kinds of things. And, and so that's always just been something that my dad and I have had and shared. Well, the transition in karting kind of went from that kind of racing to more of a national series racing, a lot of touring in the Midwest. And so the, the local scene died out, which, you know, in some regard it has everywhere. And when that happened, it was a lot less conducive to having a parts trailer and carrying a large inventory. And that was about the same time that, that uh, the, the tire game, so to speak, having a, a tire guy or a tire specialist became increasingly important. And so to uh, fill the gap of the part side of the business, we started offering more consulting, more service on the tire end of things. And that's just kind of snowballed into no longer carrying parts. We still have the ability to order anything for anybody. We're still dealers for, for a lot of different things. But uh, basically what we do now, uh, we have a line of prep that we sell. Uh, we carry Maxxis tires. We do Burris tires when they're, they're asked of us. But it's definitely more of the, uh, the chassis setup, uh, tire prep, uh, tire services side of, of the business now. And that's kind of when it went from carts and parts, which is what it used to be, to motorsports now which is just us on the, uh, the consulting side doing more of the, the tire prep side. Okay. Where, where do you kind of see trackside motorsports and karting and, and Mike Halliburton in, say, 10 years from now? Or where would you like to see all this? Well, so um, 10 years from now, ultimately, I'd love to uh, be – you know, having a little person in the sport by then. So, um, you know, things are going to have to take place for that to happen. But, uh, but yeah, so 10 years from now, you know, I'd, I'd love to see kart racing have rebounded a little bit. And I think it will. I think uh, with all this stuff, it's kind of cyclical. Um, I think that uh, racing will, will rebound and do better in the years to come. And uh, at that point in time, you know, I'll be, I'll be 45 years old by then. And um I most likely won't be racing at that point. And when I say most likely, that's a, that's a high likelihood of that. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> hopefully by then they've figured out a way to eliminate tire prep. Uh, I know that a lot of people out there wouldn't want to hear that because that's how they make their money. But uh, ultimately I think that that's kind of the, one of the crutches in, in cart racing. And uh, I'd love to see that continue to slowly dissipate out of the sport and, and back to more of a, you know, no prep, uh, more of a Saturday night feel, regional level racing, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, that's really where I see the sport going, uh, in the Midwest anyway, is uh, over the course of time, you're going to see, I think, less national series racing, less touring, and, uh, and more local level spec tire kind of racing. I've kind of... 
I agree with that as well. I mean, I, I think over the past year, the conversations I've had and the people I've talked to and being around carding since the late 80s, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like there's going to be one or two bigger series. And maybe that series is just a bunch of money events in the Southeast put together every weekend. But it seems like now is probably the best time you know, than ever has been before. If you have a track to do what's best for your local community racing wise, you know, and I think a lot of what's best for locals isn't what is mainstream as far as the touring series goes. So I think, like you said, I kind of, and if that's what you're alluding to, I kind of see the same thing where it's, it's going to, there's going to be a separation, but I think it is going to go more back towards the local grassroots program, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we're seeing that a lot here in our area. There's uh, two or three little, uh, I say backyard racetracks because they're on people's property that mm-hmm. are, are continually uh, getting bigger and bigger and they, they have less rules. Um, and the racetracks aren't near as, as nice, but you can tell that it's popular. People are having fun and it doesn't cost a lot to go do and they're not paying a lot. So it's, it's less serious. And, uh, I think, I think at least on a, on a local level, that's what needs to happen in order to revive the sport. And, and I think in our area, that's what we're going to see more of, um, the, the days of traveling and, and having a, a toter home and racing seven hours away from home every weekend, that's a really, really small segment of your population that can afford that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, that's slowly dying in the Midwest. And what you're seeing is more of a, a, a revival of uh, put your truck in the, or put your cart in the back of the truck, head over to uh, so-and-so's backyard racetrack on a Saturday. Uh, hanging out for three or four hours racing and then going home. How do you, I, I, I agree with that as well. And I, how do you see that? Well, let me see what I'm trying to say here. As far as your business goes, the trackside motorsports, do you get much business from those guys? I mean, do you still get the guys coming over to scale out or do you generally get most of your business from your core group of guys that, that, um, that travel maybe a little bit more? So uh, we, we get a good mix, actually. So being that we've been in, in the cart world for a very long time, uh, you've got people that raced carts that now have kids that are getting back into karting that know about us. And so we sell a lot of used tires, a lot of used parts still uh, to a lot of these, these guys getting into the sport here in our area. Um, but, yeah, I still do have a really good core group of uh, national-level racers that go race. Um, I think how this affects us going forward um, – this is why I have a, a day job, man, is that it allows for me to not be solely dependent on uh, the income I get from racing. And so uh, I'm a lot less stressed by that. And, uh, and it, it makes it so it doesn't necessarily affect me either way. Uh, if racing were to take a turn and, and go back to grassroots local racing, uh, I'd love it. We'd probably figure out a way to stay really involved and, and try to make some money doing it. But uh, at the end of the day, that wouldn't be uh, necessarily the, the best or worst thing that happened. Uh, if racing continues to be a, a national level sport and, uh, and we go that direction, that, that's great as well. Uh, you know, we, can go, we could go either way. My dad's a huge fan of the, the local grassroots stuff, and, uh, and that's, his, uh, that's where his heart is. Uh, my heart, more on the competitive side of things. Uh, the national level racing, I, I really, really enjoy that. And so, um, 
our, our shop will, will do well or, or do whatever we need to, depending upon the, the course that kart racing takes. Good deal, man. Sounds like you, uh, you seem like the type of person to kind of think that out. I probably wouldn't ask as many people that question, but uh, I, I think like, um, so an old quote I heard, it's like, put yourself in position uh, of the most options available or something like that. I, I kind of messed that up, but basically like you're setting yourself up that you're going to succeed to some level at regardless of how it goes. So that's pretty good. And, and you kind of alluded to that too, as, um, there's a lot of guys, especially some young guys that kind of get into the racing deal and try to do it full time. And I think that's a bad, a bad route to go. I've always felt like put in the extra time at night and if it's really going to happen, it'll be there. You know what I mean? A lot of guys just, they'll quit everything and go buy a trailer and try to make it happen. And, and sometimes it's not all that it cracked up to be, you know, Take the, that's coming from me. I mean, I've, I've experienced that. I, I tried to do it full time for a while and it just was not for me. I mean, I, mean, I, I could do it, but it just wasn't, wasn't the lifestyle I was looking to do. Yeah. And I mean, I, I commend anybody that, that wants to go and do that because I mean, if you're you know, really passionate about something and that's what you love, yeah, you got to take risks. So, I mean, sometimes it's sort of swinging the bat, uh, but it's always good to have, have a plan and a, and a structure to how you approach something. Um, it's super, super hard to uh, financially make it in racing and it doesn't matter what form of racing it is. So uh, that's a small window and a, a small pool of people that can, they can do that. Uh, there's a handful of guys in the Southeast that have been tremendously successful, uh, both on the racetrack and just financially in general doing it for years. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that, that, you know, I don't know maybe that I could have ever done, but, uh, but they made it work and they've done well by that. Uh, I don't think you can do that anywhere else in the country. I think that it's mm -hmm. uh, specific to that area. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, my advice to anybody that wanted to do that would be first to move out there uh, <laughs> see, see if that's a world that you can live in and thrive in and then go from there. Right. And I, I think from my personal experience, I, I'm going to speak for that, but I know when I did try to make it go full time and it, and it I mean, it went for a while, but for me personally, it took all the fun out of it and just put more, not even, it wasn't pressure. It was just like. I had to do it instead of I wanted to do it. And it was, it was a weird feeling for someone that, you know, you do something cause you love it for so long. And then all of a sudden you're doing it cause you have to. And it's like, there's just a different, um, like a different aura kind of surrounding the, the thing that you love to begin with, you know, um, if, that, if that makes sense at all for me personally. Uh oh, it definitely could take the fun out of it real quick. And so, I mean, that, that's something that you'd need to, to evaluate uh, personally and see if that that's something that's, uh, you know, worth, worth, um, uh, the risk of, of doing and, and, um, you know, if you can handle that. Mm -hmm. Well, we've been recording a little over an hour now and we're, we're actually recording. We're about mid April. So it's going to be, I actually have another episode recorded that I'm going to put out, um, before this one. So it'll be two weeks. It'll be close to the beginning of May, but, um, something I did want to bring up and I hope I had this right. Cause Facebook said it was true. So it must be, but, um, I guess a happy belated birthday goes out to you also. I guess a, a few days ago you had your 35th birthday, right? Oh, yeah, man. You had to bring that up here, right? Yeah. Hey, man. Happy. Hey, dude, I'm 39, so I have to try to bring up everyone else's age so I don't feel as old sometimes, you know, especially when I get, you know, especially when I get guys that have been racing from the, you know, the 90s and stuff, I don't feel as bad being on here, you know, so. 
So, um, but anyway, so happy belated birthday and um, kind of to close things out, man, I want to kind of just let, I'm not sure, one, I want you to let people know where they can find you and maybe some more information on not only Mike Halliburton, but Trackside Motorsports. Um, but anything else that you'd like to say, any people that you'd like to thank, I'm sure you have a, a few people lined up and I'm sure there's someone you're going to forget. But, um, uh, you know, anything that you'd like to say that anyone listening, where they can find you on social media and, and people that have helped you in the past, feel free to to go have okay yeah so um, i don't do a tremendous marketing or anything like that but we do have a, a trackside motorsports facebook page um you can you can get a hold of me through there or also just on facebook by, by shooting me a, a message uh those are really the two easiest ways to get a hold of me uh the facebook page i'm not great at, at keeping that up i was doing it for a while uh, and i need to probably get back on that being we've got a little bit more free time now in our days um, but yeah, so we try to stay a little bit updated on that just so you can see what our race team's doing and, and kind of what we're doing. Um, people I want to thank, uh, I'll keep this short, you know, so obviously, like I stated during the, uh, the podcast, couldn't have done any of this without my dad. He, uh, got me into the sport, um, still active and helping me with day-to-day operations of, of things, taking orders, invoices, that kind of stuff. So, uh, he's a huge part of why I do what I do. And uh, it allows me to do what I do. Um, aside from that, uh, Wesley LeBlanc, uh, I race for Kinetic Racing Chassis. Uh, I run Excel Performance Motors. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a huge reason why I, I continue to do what I do. Uh, I love helping him. I love, uh, you know, promoting his product. Uh, he's a great friend of mine. And so it's made things a, a lot more fun and a lot easier to do here over the last couple of years. Um, got a couple of uh, customers that I, that I race with, uh, weekend and week out during the summer that, uh, you know, uh, their support and, uh, their, uh, investment in, in time with doing what we do to uh, help their kids, uh, is, is awesome. You know, without them, I, I may not do what I do anymore because it would be a lot less fun without them around. So, um, yeah, that, that's keeping the, the list short there. And, uh, there's a ton of people out there that know that I appreciate their help and, uh, you know, I look forward to all of us getting back to a normal life and a normal schedule so we can all go race here pretty soon. Yes, I will cheers to that, man. Well, hey, man, I certainly do appreciate your time. I know everyone listening. Um, I, I definitely appreciate it and I hope people kind of take take heart to the things you did say about, you know, dropping the soda at the track, doing some cardio. And it's I think some people think that, you know, if they look at your Facebook page they're like, man, I can't. I'm not going to go out there and do all that. I think it just takes one step, you know, it takes a five minute run or a 10 minute jump rope or it just, it's something to start, you know, the hardest part of anything is just starting. So, um, um, it's just like anything we do. If you're consistent with it, you'll see results. And as soon as you see the results, you'll understand why you were consistent. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, man, again, I appreciate it. And uh, I wish you lots of luck in the future. And I'm hoping that, you know, in a few years when you decide who that next driver is going to be for you, maybe uh, maybe both of you can come on or we'll get you back on here to talk some more. So, uh, so Mike, yeah, man, I appreciate absolutely. it, and, and good luck with everything in the future. Thank you very much for having me. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And remember, as with any of the past guests, if you come across them at the track or on social media, Uh, Just reach out, tell them thank you for your time, and I'm sure if there's any follow-up questions that I didn't think of in the moment, I'm sure they would have uh, no problem kind of sitting down and having a little conversation with you and trying to help you out. So again, 
Thank you. Hope everyone is healthy and safe, and I'll talk to you next time.